just as an update, um, I am now a proud grandfather. Yes. Now, I, I had, this morning I wrestled with, like, okay, should I bring, like, dozens and dozens of pictures and just put them up on the screen? And um, I decided not to do that. I, I decided to wait and let my son-in-law and daughter um, take care of that part. But um, if you go on Facebook, you can see them. And she's beautiful. She's beautiful. On Thursday, uh, Violet was born. And um, it, was a, it was a great week for our family. So thanks for praying for us. Um, looking forward to her being part of this, of this body and enjoying the fellowship with all of you. Um, well, again, it's my privilege to open up God's Word. Why don't you open up your copy of God's Word? Um, go ahead and find the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you're just joining with us, uh, we're in the middle of a little bit of a series right now where we are focusing upon what we're identifying as the five songs of Christmas now, these are not songs, per se, that we're going to, you know, share uh, the music score and we're going to play the guitar or the piano and sing along. Um, no, these are inspired sections of God's Word, as all of the Bible is inspired of God's Spirit. But these particular sections of Scripture, four of which are found in the Gospel of Luke, one, we went into the book of Revelation and grabbed it, but all of them are written in a different form than the rest of the Gospel. The Gospels are usually written in narrative form, but these are written in poetic form. And what we've been talking about as we've been gathering together over the last couple of weeks is how these passages help us and inform us of how to worship God, not only with our mind, but with our heart and our feelings as well. And the reason why I wanted to select this to talk about in this sort of Christmas season is, is I know that if you're like me, You've heard a lot of sermons in December about Christmas, and, and it can get a little bit repetitive. And so my desire has been for us that this would not be about just simply the facts of the incarnation, but that God would, would bring along our feeling and our emotion as well to understand that what God's calling us to is an emotional response triggered by the facts of the gospel, and the facts of who God is and who we are, and that we would emotionally respond in rejoicing, in celebration of what God has done. And so we borrowed a definition from Warren Wearsby of what worship really is. I'll put it on the screen here. I think it's in your worship notes, but you'll get the idea. So worship is not just simply singing of songs, although that is very important. And we do that nearly every time we come together. We do that because we're instructed to do that. In the book of Ephesians, we're to, we're to sing and make melody in our heart. So God has given us the gift of singing of, of music in worship of the Lord. But that's not all that worship is. Pastor Billy already alluded to this. We've had it illustrated before us today as we talk about worshiping by giving, worshiping by just reading the words that are on the screen, listening to a song, contemplating about Jesus is our deliverer. So Wearsby points out this, though, that worship is a, is a believer's response of all that they are, all that you are, your soul and your spirit and all of your strength. Wearsby identifies our mind, our emotion, our will, and our body. It's a response of, of all that we are to what God is, to what God has said, to what God has done. And so we've been using the Christmas songs, primarily found in the Gospel of Luke, to inform those parts of us 
that we could worship. Today we've landed in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be at verse 46. I'm not going to read it yet because I want to build to it the way that the gospel author did. We're going to land, though, at the Magnificat. Now, that is probably one of the most famous of the four um, songs in, in the Gospel of Luke. This is spoken by the mother of Jesus, Mary. She's just a, just a teenage girl, very likely. The age, her age isn't given in Scripture, but, but just by the, the context of the historical situation, she's an unmarried girl. We, we think she probably was a teenager, definitely was a young woman. And she's going to break out for song, in song for us. And this, is, this has been cherished by, by Christians um, since, since it happened. And in a moment, we'll read it. But before we do that, I want to, again, see, my desire is that, that we can fill up this song with potential energy before we read it. That we can, we can understand. It's like, we're, it's like we're blowing up a balloon, folks. The context blows up the balloon, and then we pop it, and we see and we experience this overwhelming joy of celebration. So how do you get that? How do you blow up the balloon? Well, we got to get into the skin of Mary. We got to get into the life that she was living. It's one of the reasons why I wanted, to, wanted you to hear and to think about the words of that song that was played for us just a moment ago my deliverer. You'll find it in Luke chapter 1. So if you haven't turned here, go to verse number 26. We talked about that with each of these songs, the, the way that we, we grasp them, not just in our mind, but in our emotions, is to understand the context. Now that's always the case with Scripture. Context means that we understand the verses that surround it, but it also means we understand the situation that it is written in. And so let's look at the context meaning the verses around it to understand the context, meaning the time, the place, the characters, the plot, and the climax. So look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. Again, blowing up the balloon of this song. Verse number 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in the sixth month of what? I take it to be the sixth month of Elizabeth's uh, conception, after her conception of, of her pregnancy. And we, can re we, we talked about that last week. And so now the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. We see here who our characters are. We see who our se what our setting is. She's in Nazareth, the, the, the small little community. It's like a village that Jesus grew up in. That's where Mary grew up. But she's going to travel shortly after this. We're going to see why. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to speculate why. But we're going to see her travel now to where we were last week. In the region of Judah, near Jerusalem, to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is the, the exact same couple we focused upon last week. A relative of Mary. But I want us to understand what's going on in Mary's heart as she travels. So this angel comes to her. Now listen, she is a regular person. She is, she is, she is just like you and me, potentially. The, Mary is not a superstar. She's, she's not this person that, was, that sort of hovered above everybody else. 
Now, in that culture, she wasn't like a, you know, a 14-year-old girl in 21st century America, you know, on Instagram or Snapchat or something. Okay, there's a little bit of difference in the culture of the day. But she is just a young person, a, a common person like you and like me, and an angel comes to her. Well, how are you going to respond? An angel comes and, and tells her, and you can read about it over in verse number 30. This angel comes and says, don't be afraid, Mary. You've been found, you found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Well, how are you going to respond? How's your teenage daughter going to respond? What? And as you look at it, Mary responds exactly the way that you might. Verse number 34, she says, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. She's trying to understand this. And I even suggest there's even some skepticism here in Mary's mind. She's like, this, this is impossible. This can't be. She hasn't heard the Christmas story for however many years you've sat here and listened to this. She hasn't been at a dozen candlelight services where this is read. She says, how can this be? And so God in his grace calls the angel to continue to communicate to her. You see it there in verse number 35. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. Now listen, Mary isn't like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> this is what happens, okay? The same way that you wouldn't. She, she responds the same way that you would if this were to happen. Now, she started out a little skeptical, but now as you travel along to verse number 38, she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She goes from skepticism to just sort of this submissiveness. All right, I, I guess so, if, if you said it. Okay. And now in verse number 39, I love, I love that the Lord allowed me to have this passage this week. Because now we have two expecting mothers that bump into each other. My heart was on an expectant mother all this week, my daughter. And I asked all this week, thought, Lord, thank you for this blessing. To be kicking around in this passage this very week. That, that's a real gift. Thank you. She travels to the home of Elizabeth, the older lady who, through a miracle of God, conceived and has in her womb John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And watch what happens. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse number 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does Elizabeth know this is even happening? There's, there's been nothing said to Elizabeth. But she responds in this way. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, 
When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary went from skepticism to this just sort of submission, okay, to now absolute surrender to God. And you see it now in her song. It, the, she is now going to just be overwhelmed with worship of God. Do you see the grace of what God did in this just common girl's life? She started out like, I don't know about this God. Maybe this is the way it was for you when you came to Christ. Maybe, maybe this is how your journey has been or should be. At first, she just kind of moved forward like, I don't know about all of this. And then she, she grew to this sort of submission before the Lord. And now she is surrendered to Him. And she breaks out in worship. Listen, this is honestly why this moment is why as one of the shepherds of Centerpoint, I wanted us to talk about these songs. I wanted to see our people, the people that call Centerpoint their home, this flock of people, grow in this same way to where you hear the truths of, of, of the incarnation of Christ and maybe they seem a little bit too great to be true. But God in His grace has brought truth into your life just like He did in Mary's life. He did it through the angel Gabriel for her it's probably not going to happen to you. It's going to happen through God's word. And when she heard this word, God's spirit worked greatly. And she said, whatever you say, God. And then she moved further as Elizabeth spoke truth into her heart. And listen, God did a miracle of worship in Mary's life. And my hope is that now as me is just a common person just like you. I just want to speak these words, just explain these words, and trust that maybe God will do the same thing in your heart that He did in Mary's. And that is bring you to surrender and to worship of your mind, of your emotion, of your will, of your life before Him. That's what God wants to give us this kind of relationship with Him. Well, let's go to the song now. I hope the balloon's blown up a little bit to where we can at least see what happens when Mary now explodes in worship. Verse number 46, follow along. I think I have it for the screen, or maybe you have it there in your copy of God's Word. It says this, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel 
in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then Luke wraps it up and says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. We'll see what happens after that next week. Now, one of the things that, that biblical scholars wonder about, and maybe this is something that hasn't occurred to you to, to consider, but one of the things that, that we wonder about is how did this teenage girl, this village girl, how, how did she craft these words? I mean, did she just go into trance and just sort of like utter this, you know, some out-of-body experience? Other people maybe speculate and they say, well, maybe what Luke did is he kind of wrote his own words and said this is the kind of thing that Mary would have said. Yes, and I reject both of those ideas. I reject both of those ideas. I don't think Mary went into some kind of a trance and uttered these like some kind of out-of-body experience. I think as you read the passage here, you see Mary's experience, her personality, her, her life experience coming out. I don't think Luke crafted this for it because Mary said it, according to God's word. So where did it come from? How, I mean, would your 14, 15-year-old daughter express her love for God this way? Maybe not. But I think we're downplaying the life and the, the rearing of what would have happened in Mary's life in this day. If you were to go, we won't do it now for sake of time, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, you will find there another song written by another woman. Another woman with a child in her womb. Her name was Hannah. The name of the child? Samuel. Another miraculous conception. God does this often in His Word. He often has done this in His experience in, in people's lives. Do a miracle of conception. Happened with Hannah. She broke out in song. I'll give you a great study to do this week. Take the, the, the song of Mary and take the song of Hannah and just read them together. You will be amazed at how much they parallel one another. What is Mary uttering here? She has lived in the, in the song of Hannah. She is, it was, this was a special song to every little Jewish girl. And she had lived there and now she was experiencing what she had heard about, what she knew in her mind She's now experiencing in her heart. See this? She is experiencing what we want to see happen in our lives. For our theology to kind of work its way down into our emotion. And she overwhelms in song. So we're looking at the setting here. We're getting an idea of the, of the context. We've talked about the, where it happened. We've talked about the main characters. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, the, the relative of Mary, the mother of John the Baptist. We've got, of course, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb who does, you know, this sidekick whenever Jesus walks up. And what an event that was. And we've got Jesus in the womb of Mary, the Son of God, living inside of one of his creations. We've got to think about this. We've got to be moved to all over this. But our passage for today is the song of Mary. 
And when you look at verses 46 to 49 and compare that to verses 50 through the end, you will notice a change. Just run your eye over it. Look at 46 through 49, Mary's first half of her song. And in just a moment, we're going to compare that to, to verses 50 through 56. And there is a, there's, a, there's a stark difference in what the emphasis is. And it's very important for us to pick up on it today. One of the things that we'll notice about what Mary has to say as you're looking at it, I'll just fill in here while you, while you look for some differences in those two different sections or maybe stanzas of this song. One of the things that's remarkable about Mary's words is she doesn't bring up this idea of the, the queen of heaven or a mediator between man and God in any way, shape, or form. I know, I know that, that Mary has been elevated in the, in the religion of Roman Catholicism to a level that you don't find in Scripture. Mary speaks of her own need for a savior. Mary speaks of her being of a humble estate. Humble estate there doesn't speak of humility. It speaks of her life sort of station. When, she, when it says she's of a humble estate, that could just be, another way you could say it in our vernacular today, is she's just, com, she's just a common person. That's all that she was. But God worked in her life. He does that in common people's lives, like yours, like mine. Okay, 46 to 49, the first thing I want us to see, kind of the first stanza that, that Mary breaks out in, is I really identify this as Jesus has come to deliver. Jesus has come to deliver. Now, the reason why this is called the Magnificat is because the very first word that Mary utters in verse number 46, it says, and Mary said, the very first word is magnify. And in Greek, that's significant. You see, in Greek, you can change the order of the words in a sentence, and it doesn't change the root meaning. And so what you do is when you, when you want to emphasize something, when you want something to be emphasized, you put it at the front of the sentence. And magnify is the very first word of the very first sentence of the song of Mary. She says, magnify the Lord. What does magnify mean? Your translation may say exalt. That's another possible translation. It's very similar to glorify. And what it means, it means to make larger. That's what it means. Well, I ask you a question. How do you make an infinite God larger? You can't do it. He is infinite in every way. Yet Mary says, my soul magnifies the, the Lord. What we're seeing here, what, what, what our worship is and what our response to God is, is we have a, a hunger and a, and a call to make the largeness of God known in a larger way. That's what magnify means. It means my life, my words, my actions, they shine a light on God so that other people can see His largeness. This is what Mary says that her soul and her spirit does. They magnify and they rejoice at what God has done. You can understand the idea of magnify. Just this past week, I'm sitting in my living room, me and my family, we look out in this large oak tree behind our house, and there's an eagle in the tree eating some unfortunate animal. I don't know the name of the animal, but he had a bad day, okay? And the eagle took him out. And I look at that, and I'm like, I think there's an eagle in that tree, honey. 
He says, no, it's just a Walmart bag flying around. It's just a white bag. It's a plastic bag. I'm like, no, I think it's an eagle. So I grab my binoculars and I magnify the image. And sure enough, it's a bald eagle eating what I'm quite sure was an unfortunate squirrel. Well, the eagle didn't get any larger. He didn't grow in size. But I could see his claws. And I could see his beak. And I don't want to gross you out, but I could see what he was doing to that squirrel piece by piece. He was magnified. Mary says, my soul, who I am, Soul and spirit are often used interchangeably in Scripture. They mean your inner person. They are who you are. You are not a human with a soul. You are a soul that happens to have a body like this right now. This is who you are. And she says, who I am, my person, everything that I am, my soul, my spirit, it shines the light on God and makes the ultimate, the largest of God able to be seen by others. This is what she's moved to in her heart. Magnified. Revealing the goodness of God. And her spirit rejoices. Now this word is a little bit different. This word rejoices is a little bit different. Rejoice is a response to what has been magnified. Okay? When we saw the eagle and we magnified it with the glasses... We exalted it, okay, and we could see its character. And then all three of us in my living room were like, oh, this is cool. Look at that. We rejoiced. See, our rejoice is a response to the magnified nature of what we are looking at. Mary says, my soul, all that I am, magnifies shines the light upon, makes larger the goodness of God, and then my spirit, the part of me that can connect with God, rejoices, responds to what I've seen. I heard somebody illustrate it this way. Imagine you've got a favorite ball team, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, and if you're not into that, you can pick like a music artist or something like that, a band or whatever, okay? But you've got a favorite, Suppose you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, and you know all about the Ravens. Man, you can tell me about their quarterback, their running back, their defensive scheme, their play, their, their history. You can magnify the, ra- the Ravens and tell me all about them. But when you're at the game, and whoever the quarterback is now passes the ball, catch it, the receiver catches it in the end zone, and you jump up, yeah, that's rejoicing. That's rejoicing. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And now, as we've, now that we've understood what, what it is that Mary is doing, let's see what it is that she pointed to. And this is the remarkable nature of, of this section of Scripture. It's, now we're going to see what it is that theologians say, how did, a, how did a teenage girl write this? And then they look back to Hannah. And it also elevates the the inspiration of God's Spirit. Because the theology that Mary reveals rivals anybody's ability in this room to speak of God's character. Let's see what it is that she says. 
First of all, she says, she magnifies that God is her Savior. See that? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She identifies that God is her Savior. What does the word Savior mean? Savior means a deliverer. It means one who keeps. A Savior is a person who dives into the water and swims out to a drowning person and, and brings them to safety and they save them. This is what God did. It wasn't enough. God, God didn't save us by giving us knowledge. He didn't save us by telling us about, only about himself. He didn't save us by, by telling us what to do. He didn't save us by telling us what to feel. He saved us by coming into this world. See, He saved us by being incarnated. This is where Christ takes on flesh and comes to the earth. To die for us and to show us what God is like. This is how he saved us. A deliverer must enter in. He doesn't deliver from afar. A savior doesn't deliver from afar. He enters in. So Mary speaks of God doing that. It's always been his way to do that with the nation of Israel. And now he's come into her life. Did you notice the difference, by the way? If this was a classroom, I'd ask you to tell me what you've noticed. When you look at verses 46 to 49, compare them verses 50 and beyond. 46 to 49 speaks of what God has done in Mary's life. It's very personal, and it's done. It's done. Verses 50 and beyond, now Mary's gaze goes broader than herself. She goes broader than just herself, and she sees us. Now, maybe not you specifically, but she sees who we represent other people. And what has been spoken of in verses 50 and beyond hasn't fully happened yet. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the first part. So first we saw that Mary talks about God being the Savior. But then notice in verse number 49. We'll skip 48 for just a minute. Look at verse number 49. It says, For he who is mighty and has done great things, this is speaking of God's power. Look down at verse number 51. He has shown strength with his arm. And you can carry on down the passage, brought down, exalted, filled. Mary now speaks of the almighty nature of God. He has come in as Savior, and now she speaks of his strength and of his power. And listen, folks, what we got to recognize is the only hope that we had because of sin. Because this world is cursed through sin. That this world is under the power of Satan right now that's been given by God, has given him the authority over this earth, a limited, a limited amount of authority over this earth. The only hope that mankind had was the almighty God to enter. He's the only one who was powerful enough to be the Savior. In my lifeguard illustration of swimming out, he's the only one that could get through the currents. He's the only one who could bring us back. His almighty nature is being magnified here by Mary. He is powerful enough to save. The baby in a manger would grow to be a man. But there in the manger was the power capable of saving. Take back a step further. Flashback three months in this passage. There in Mary's womb is the power of the Son 
of the Most High God. It's overwhelming to consider. And next, in verse number 49, look what she tags on here at the end. But it's no tag on. It's the nature and the character of God. He is Savior. He is Almighty. But He is holy. Now what does holy mean? Holy does not mean that, that God is the opposite of sin. That's not what it means. I mean, you, you're, you might be the opposite of sin. Other people at work may, may steal things and, and you do the opposite of that. You don't. That's not what holy is. Holy is to be opposed to sin. God in His nature is opposed to sin. So what's that mean? That means he had to defeat it. God in his nature had to come in his mightiness and rescue this fallen creation from sin. His holiness demanded it. God's holiness demanded that this moment would happen. He is opposed to sin. So he comes against it to destroy it to defeat it, to eliminate it from all of creation. Not just our puny little life, but all of creation has been impacted by this sin. And God is opposed to it and came to conquer it. This is what Christmas is. Christmas isn't something we get excited about because our kids are going to be enthused or because they're going to get gifts or, or you know, our family's coming to visit from wherever. No. This is the Savior God, the Almighty One, the Holy One, coming into the world, invading the world to defeat sin. And Mary... She just explodes with this. And I hope that we might as well. Well, notice what she rejoices about, and I've, I've got to get going here, okay? And that's verse number 48. And this is what all believers rejoice in. This is, this is what all followers of Christ know about themselves. It's the secret to loving God greater You know, if, if you look at your life and you say, man, I wish I had more passion for God. I, w I wish I loved God more. Let me tell you how you get there. You understand two things. God's greatness, we've already looked at that. And secondly, my brokenness. Your brokenness. As the disparity grows between the two, as God's greatness is increased and your brokenness is revealed, your love for God increases. And Mary rejoices over that. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's broken, she's common, she brings nothing to the table. She's not special. 
She's not, she, she, there's nothing about her that wouldn't be said about a host of other people. But God in His grace has chosen her for this. Oh my, how that does not parallel us. There was nothing special about you. God didn't look at you and say, I like you. So I'm going to open your eyes up to my grace. He didn't say you're good at this or you're good at that. or No. He didn't say you're going to be good at this. You're going to be good at that. No. In his grace, he came to you, the common person that you are. The humble estate that you come from. And blessed you, just like, just like her. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And you might say, oh yeah, well she's blessed in a special way. No, the same word is, is used about you. In Ephesians 1, it says you've been blessed in the heavenly places. You are rich in Christ. This is God's grace. And she rejoices over that. She rejoices over what God has done. Well, that's the first stanza. And it's very personal, see. It's very personal. It's, it's the believer and his or her God. Understanding what God has done and rejoicing that he has delivered us from sin and lostness and brokenness. All right, at verse 50, and this will go quicker, okay? So at verse number 50, now Mary's gaze changes. As God's Spirit inspired her, likewise you will find a similar change in the words of Hannah. Remember, that's your assignment this week, right? Her, his, her gaze will change. Look at it in verse number 50. You see it immediately. And his mercy... By the way, another aspect of the, of the character of God that we won't take the time right now to develop. But His mercy is for those who fear Him. Who? Those who fear Him. The, the, the special people? Mary and her relatives? The Jewish people? No. Those who fear Him. When? Is it just at this moment? Is it, it, did you have to live right then? No. From generation to generation. What is Mary now rejoicing over? And what is Mary now magnifying? She is now magnifying and rejoicing the reality that God has opened up this, this path to him through this one who's coming into the world as a child, will grow to be a man and die for our sins. He has offered that to everybody, to all people of all time, to you, to me. To, to those that you will bump into, to those that you have tried to share the gospel with that have rejected you so far. You never know when their eyes will open. So we keep trusting that God is going to reach people who fear Him, who respond in fear in all time. And notice what's going to happen. And so now this change is going to occur. Verse 51. Let me just show it to you here. You'll get it. He who has shown strength with his arm... He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Jesus is coming to rescue us. That's what we're talking about right now. And I just kind of revealed my hand. So look at verse 51. Has that happened yet? He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of the heart. Has that happened? Has God scattered the thoughts of the proud? 
Has he brought down the mighty from their thrones? Has he exalted the humble estate? Has God filled the hungry with good things? And the rich, has he emptied them? Has he helped his servant Israel and remembered all of his promises he made to Abraham? Have these things occurred? Now, you may be tempted, as many people have done, to say, well, okay, that hasn't really happened, like, completely, but, you know, we can spiritualize it. And, you know, so maybe the rich haven't been brought down and made empty, and maybe the exalted haven't been humbled, but, you know, in a spiritual sense, that has occurred. Who gave you the right to do that? Who gave you the right to take Mary's words, inspired by the Spirit of God, and give them a different meaning than what they plainly mean. You see, here's what we have here. Where Mary was looking past, she was looking back at what Jesus did. She is now, through the inspiration of God's Spirit, looking forward to what Jesus will do. That's what this is. This is called prophetic past tense. What that means is, it's a prophecy given with such certitude... Which what, with, with such certitude by God that's given in language as if it already happened. God is so sure, as sure as today is today, that it's going to happen, although it has not happened yet, that he says it in this form, in this fashion, in such a way that he says it as if it has already happened. Because in God's eyes, in God's mind, he always keeps his word. And so he speaks of it beyond the bounds of time as if it has already happened. But you and I both know it has not happened yet. What is Jesus, what is Mary, that is, speaking of? Jesus came the first time as a child. He's coming again. She has now switched. Now, maybe you picked this up. At verse number 50, there is a switch now that occurs from the first advent of Jesus to the second. That there's coming a day. Where Jesus Christ will come, not as a lamb, but as a lion. Remember the first song? Mary's now singing of it as well. Every song in the Gospel of Luke does just that. Praises God for what He has done. And praises God for what He will do. This is, this is how we live in the momentary affliction that we are presently experiencing. This is how you worship with your mind, your heart, your will, and your actions. No matter what comes. No matter what comes. Just this week, I had some moments where I was struggling over Things that were happening in my life. And I was worried. A friend of mine said, well, you take those worries to the one that can handle them. And I came across a quote quickly that I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And it was this, that worry and worship cannot happen in the same heart. Can't happen in the same heart. Not at the same time. Mary here is transitioning from, not from the past to her present, but from what God has done in the past to what He will do 
in the future. And this is how we rejoice. And this is what we magnify. And this is what the coming of Jesus to the earth as Savior and as King, this is where it draws us. So just three things I want to just throw up on the screen here, just little things that I knew I probably wouldn't get a chance to bring in. So I wanted to just make sure I hit these at the end. The first one I've said every week that we've talked about this, and I hope you're getting this, is God impacting your whole person. The way Mary said it is my soul and my spirit. Your whole person. Is your mind enlightened by the truth of Christmas? Your heart melted and your life released to him. We see it in Mary's life. We saw it in Zacharias. We saw it in John the Revelator in, in, in Revelation chapter 5. Second thing I want to just, just throw at you to think about as we wrap up here. I mean, the unborn baby in the womb leaped for joy when encountering Jesus in Mary's womb. We must think of that in terms of the sanctity of life. We, in the questions of our culture, this passage must enlighten our minds of what happened. We understand things now. We understand things now. That God has enlightened our minds to great truth. And then the third thing, and I think this is, this is probably the, the key that, that I'm walking away with. It's this, looking back at what God has done and looking forward at what he's promised to do. That puts the moment that we're in in its proper place. Realize that I'm just, like, I'm just one small player okay, between the giant edges of this, of this mountain range, between what God has done and what God has promised he will do, and it brings my whole experience here in the middle into its proper place. Magnify God. Shine light on his bigness. Rejoice in him. This is what worship is as we think about Jesus, come into earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your plan, for your coming, Lord, as our deliverer, as our rescuer. Father, and your coming, you're sending your son again. God, we look forward to you coming and, and making all things right, reversing every wrong that there is. But Lord, as we wait... Lord, work in our hearts the way you did in this little girl's heart and bring, her to accept the re bring us to accept the reality of your word that you've worked in the past, you're going to work in the future, and this momentary affliction we're in is part of your plan. We love you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, um, just two things. First of all, if you're a member of Centerpoint Bible Church, um, I want to encourage you that today is the close of our affirmation of the 2021 budget. So if you haven't done that, there's a paper ballot over there. I know many people did it online. Thank you for that. Um, but there's a paper ballot over there if you want to take care of that before you leave. Um, 
Secondly, I really urge you out next Saturday. Um, there's going to be a tremendous need here to minister to people in our community. And we will help you, as Sean shared. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know what to say and how to say it. We'll, we will be bathing this thing in prayer. And so come out on Saturday morning, 930, and be part of what God is doing. I guess the third thing is take care of that chair before you leave. Wipe it down. All right? You are dismissed.